on? It's Jordan Zerm, back with you. Another episode of The Rebuild. Thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a the best episode of The Rebuild because it's all fueled by you guys. You guys, the listeners, this is the mailbag edition of The Rebuild. I, I shot out a tweet earlier in the week asking for questions about the Browns or sandwiches or whatever you guys wanted to ask me, and I thought I was going to get maybe three emails, maybe four emails, five. I was going to feel good if I got five. I got like 25 to 30 emails from you guys which is more emails than I usually have in my inbox at any given time. So it was a really fun day for me. You know, you're out and about. Let me check my email. Oh, another one. Got another new email. Excuse me. I have to read this. Oh, another one came in. If you'll excuse me, I have to read this new email I haven't opened yet. That was me all day, uh, all day on Monday. So uh, big shout out to you guys for sending all those emails with some really, really great and intellectual questions, both on the Browns, but also more importantly on sandwiches. And it's important that we talk about sandwiches on this podcast because, one, we don't talk enough about sandwiches in this country. It's a disgrace. We should be talking way more about sandwiches. We should be talking about sandwiches on an everyday basis because they are that great and important. And just as an aside, there is an attack on one of the sandwich's most important condiments. That is mayonnaise. And I'm not going to sit here and stand for it. I don't know when it started happening. But all of a sudden, one person, some famous person somewhere was like, actually, mayo is gross. And everybody was like, yeah, you're right. And then everybody got their pitchforks out and everybody's anti-mayo. And I think it's silly. It's like you don't like something because it's popular and delicious and you just want to be different. I'm not going to raise my kids to hate mayonnaise. I won't do it. I won't deprive them of the experience of adding mayonnaise to a sandwich and increasing the deliciousness of said sandwich by at least 37%. And that is scientific. That is a fact, and I am just speaking my truth like tre- like Trevor Bauer. So we're, we'll, we'll touch on that. We have sandwich questions. We have Browns questions. It's the rebuild. It's Jordan Zerm. I'm at Cleve Zerm. You can rate the rebuild on iTunes, on Spotify. Actually, I don't think you can rate. I think the only place you can rate the podcast is on iTunes. So if you're listening to it on an iPhone, like the rest of the civilized nation, you can go rate the podcast however many stars you would like, preferably five, since, I mean, we're having a whole podcast about the Browns and sandwiches, so I don't know why you wouldn't rate it a five. Uh, but you can listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. But before I begin, I need to do a quick aside on something that I thought was hysterical, and it needs to be talked about. It is Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, a person who myself and others have long ragged on for being a quarterback where he's either throwing a 70-yard bomb or he is fumbling 20 yards behind him. There's no in-between with Josh Allen. Josh Allen did not have a particularly great rookie campaign. Now, it wasn't as bad as some as some predicted that it would be, including one Jalen Ramsey, the cornerback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, who loves to talk, and he gave multiple interviews this summer before the season started where he basically called your favorite team's quarterback trash, but specifically Josh Allen he called trash. So that was great, and I think more cornerbacks should call quarterbacks trash every chance that they get. So Josh Allen last week was signing autographs at some function in Buffalo for fans, and someone brought him a picture of Josh Allen celebrating his, his win over the Jaguars. So Josh Allen beat the Jaguars, which is an incredible thing in itself. This was late in the season. The Jaguars had just a miserable season. Shout out to Blake Bortles. And Josh Allen signed this photo that this family gave him that said, Hey, hey, Ramsey, am I still trash? Question mark. Now, this is funny to me for many reasons. 
One, because Josh Allen completed 52% of his passes last season, which is very bad and probably isn't going to get that much better. Josh Allen is not a super accurate quarterback, so that's probably going to continue. Now, Josh Allen running the ball was better than multiple running backs in the NFL, so that's good. But Josh Allen is a quarterback who will eventually, you know, everybody says Lamar Jackson needs to throw the ball better. Josh Allen needs to throw the ball better. So eventually Josh Allen is going to be ha- have to become a consistent passer if he's going to last in the NFL. So writing, am I still trash on a picture after you completed 52% of your passes and the Bills won five games last season? Let me double check that just to make sure I don't have any angry Bills fans in my mentions telling me they won six games instead of five. So yes, I'm sorry. Excuse me. The Bills won six games in 2018. They were six and 10. Um, They did not score very many points. 269 points for. The Jets were second in that division with 333 points. Uh, Dolphins 319, Patriots 436 in the AFC East. So the Bills didn't score very many points at all. Um, So you completed 52% of your passes. Your team won six games. Uh, You didn't score any points. So yes, Josh Allen. Maybe trash is too too strong of a word, but yeah, Josh Allen. If you asked Jalen Ramsey if you were still trash and he said yes, he would be correct in that answer. That is like me... That's like if I got a single kill in Fortnite, which sometimes I do. But that's like if I got one kill in Fortnite, and then two minutes later somebody sniped me because I was just standing in an open field trying to figure out how to switch the order of my guns, which happens too often. I don't hide. I just stand right in the middle of the field. Go ahead, guys. Take me out. But then I got off and was just like, I'm the greatest. Am I still trash? I just got a kill. What's going on? Like, that is the equivalent of Josh Allen writing on a photograph. That is going to be etched onto that photo forever. Hey, Jalen, am I still trash? I need that family to save that because if Josh Allen's career goes the way I think and many others think it will go as either completely pedestrian or just bad, that photo is going to be worth a trillion dollars, and I'm going to buy it. I don't care how much money I have. I won't have any, but I'm going to spend my life savings on that photo. I also think that there is there's something to if you have a if you have a face that that when things are going poorly, your face um, exacerbates that emotion. You're you're going to be a you're just going to be a bad quarterback. I think about Eli Manning. Now, I know Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. Well aware of that. It still doesn't make sense how it happened. He did that. Eli Manning hasn't been a good quarterback in quite some time. And Eli Manning has the Eli Manning face, where he is turned into a meme immediately after throwing an interception because his face is just do, is contorting into ways that I don't even begin to understand. You look at Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles has a face of a bad quarterback. Blake Bortles' face just screams, I'm going to throw 30 interceptions this season. Lo and behold, Blake Bortles is a bad quarterback. You could even put Jay Cutler in there. Jay Cutler had some success throughout his career, but I think more people will remember Jay Cutler for failing in the playoffs and standing on the sidelines in a large jacket even though he was supposedly injured in a playoff game. And then somebody made an entire website of photoshopping a cigarette into Jay Cutler's mouth because his face was just like, life is futile, let me have this cigarette. So Jay Cutler's in there with a bad face. Um, 
who else was just abysmal last year and has a has a terrible face? Andy Dalton's approaching that. Andy Dalton's going to get there. Andy Dalton has been an above average quarterback, but I I have a feeling Andy Dalton is going to become bad, and you're going to look at his face and you're going to say, you know what? I knew it. I knew that this would happen because you always knew by his face. You just you just always you just always knew. I I also I have bad news for Josh Rosen too. Josh Rosen's got that face. Like when Josh Rosen is upset, it looks really bad. So I'm not saying that he's not going to bounce back from a bad rookie year, but I am also saying that he is guaranteed to be terrible. So look, don't take my word for it. But Josh Allen, you it's going to be hard for you to succeed with that face. And um, it's just I didn't I don't make the rules. These are just things that have happened. All right, that is enough of that. It's enough Josh Allen talk. Let's get into the mailbag. This is really exciting. This is really fun. We're going to start with a question from Andrew Shaw. Andrew, thank you for emailing. Who asks, uh, would you give a first and future second rounder for Odell Beckham Jr. to be on the Browns? Now, I'm just going to say yes straight off the bat. I'll give my life for Odell Beckham Jr. to be on the Browns. I'll give my shoe collection. I will give my television. I'll give... um, what else do I have that's clearly very valuable? I have a candle in my room that smells super good. If he wants that, he can have that too. We can package, make that a package deal. I'm absolutely giving up a first and a, a future second for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I'd give up multiple picks in this upcoming draft for Odell Beckham Jr. So, you know, there was a report from Chris Sims on NBC Sports that the Giants were open to trading Odell Beckham Jr. all year. Part of it I don't believe, which is that the Patriots were calling, like, we really want Odell, and then the Giants suddenly realized that Odell Beckham Jr. is an all-pro, incredible receiver in his prime, and we're like, oh, you know what, nope, you're right, he's actually good, we should keep him. So I don't know if I believe that part of the story for a minute, but I do believe that the Giants have been trying to move on from Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham Jr. needs to be freed from Eli Manning, and who, and whoever they take in this draft, if it's Dwayne Haskins, if it's somebody else, they're going to need time. Odell Beckham Jr. needs to go to a situation where he can be properly used and not have quarterbacks overthrowing him all the time. Um, you know, obviously he has some injury history, but if I'm the Browns and the Giants were serious about moving him, I would I absolutely do whatever it took to acquire Odell Beckham Jr. Now, you're obviously you're going to have to give up a first, of course. You're probably going to have to give up another another pick, second rounder. Um, you know, some of the receivers that were moved, obviously this season, there was Amari Cooper and the Oakland Raiders got a first, uh, first round pick in this upcoming draft for Amari Cooper, which Odell Beckham Jr. is worlds better than Amari Cooper. And I think a lot of people would agree that Dallas was super desperate and giving up a first round pick was not an equal value for the services of Amari Cooper, but they, they wanted to try and extend this window at Dak Prescott. They have a decision to make about his contract extension, and they wanted to see what they could do with, with Amari. But a first-round pick for Amari Cooper is, is a lot. So thank you for that, Oakland. Uh, excuse me, Dallas, for um, screwing up that market. Um, you know, the Texans got Demarius Thomas from the Broncos for a fourth-rounder. Obviously, Demarius is on the downside of his career, ended up getting hurt. Didn't really make a difference one way or the other for the Texans as they... Um, as they went on, a, as they got into the playoffs and got smoked by the Indianapolis Colts, so there wasn't a lot there. Um, in 2017, the Bills got Kelvin Benjamin for from the Panthers for a 2018 third round pick and a seventh round pick. 
Um, obviously, Odell is a, a higher caliber of receiver than all of these names. Um, you know, it's crazy, though. I was also looking at this. I was going over some of the receivers that have been moved around the trade deadline or just in general over the past few years. And <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys, speaking of Dallas making terrible um, terrible trades, so just overvaluing receivers way too much. In 2008, I'd forgotten about this, the Cowboys traded for Roy Williams from the Detroit Lions for a first-round pick, a third-round pick, a sixth-round pick, and a tenth-round pick. That is insane. Roy Williams had, like, one good season. He made the Pro Bowl um, in 2006, was having a good year. In had a good year in 2007, so the Cowboys were like, here's everything. And Roy Williams played three seasons for the Cowboys uh, and had a combined 13 touchdowns. Never had more than 38 catches in any of his three seasons with Dallas. So, anyway, that's a ton to give up for a wide receiver. So uh, you'd think you wouldn't have to give up nearly that much for Odell Beckham Jr. But, you know, there's a lot of benefits for trading for Odell too, specifically that, you know, he is under contract. He just signed a five-year extension um, with the with the New York Giants that, uh, that runs through 2023 when he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So if you are the Browns, you have Odell Beckham Jr. under contract for five more seasons. And... Uh, I think that's a really big deal. Obviously, he has a cap hit uh, this coming season of $21 million, but the Browns are fifth uh, in the NFL in cap space uh, this coming season. So having Odell Beckham Jr. on the roster, that quality of a guy that allows you then to put Jarvis Landry back in sort of that slot slash second wide receiver position that I think he's going to excel at, then you can sort of round things out with Rashard Higgins, and if they re-sign Rashard Perryman or whoever else they want to play, um, I think you have yourself a pretty pretty strong receiving core. And if you have Baker Mayfield throwing to Odell Beckham Jr. every game, that offense, with what they have there now, it would be something else. So I, I would do a lot to get Odell Beckham Jr. onto the Browns. And that sort of leads to another question uh, that came in that I thought was really, really, um, was really interesting. This was from Dave Whitley, who asked, "What what is the best use of salary uh, cap space that outside of a good quarterback on a rookie deal?" So essentially, like, where should the Browns be going with their money now that they have their quarterback of the future and he is on this very wonderful rookie deal? And that got me doing a little bit of research, and I found some really interesting things. So first of all, there was an article on SB Nation that came out last year that was talking about um, how much of a team's salary cap was tied up in their top 10 players. Like, what percentage of their entire salary cap was tied up in their 10 highest paid players, and like, how does that relate to the outcome of a season, and does it have any effect... And is there a pattern that you can see um, in terms of what the outcome uh, of a season was? And so this is really interesting. Um, From 2011 to 2017, a team with 56 to 59% of their salary cap that was occupied by their top 10 contracts averaged 9.2 wins a season and were winning games by 28.4 points. Um, teams really teams between that had between 44% and 59% of their salary cap tied up in their top 10 players 
were winning between 8 and 9.2 games per year. And that's from 2011 to 2017. What was interesting was that once you got to 60% or higher, that number dropped down um, to 5.5 wins per season. So there's a sweet spot where almost half to a little bit more than half of your salary cap tied up in your top 10 most expensive players leads to a pretty decent amount of wins between 8 and 9.2. Last season, the Browns had 39.7% of their salary cap tied up in their top 10 players. That was that was way up, excuse me, 2018, last season, yes, that's why I said 2017, uh, it was just at 31.9%. So that jumped up a little bit. Right now, if you, if just looking at who they have under, um, under their salary, who is kind of signed right now, what they have going on, by my calculations, is per sports rack, which is a really good site for contracts. The Browns have 38.45% of their total cap wrapped up in their top 10 most expensive players. So they're, they're a little bit on the low side, and they obviously free agency has not hit yet. Um, they haven't traded for anybody yet. Um, so there's a there's a lot of... They need to re-sign Richard Higgins. They need to re-sign Richard Perryman if they want to. There's guys that they need to re-sign. So that number could definitely change and get that number closer to 44%. But I say all that to say that there is room to add spending. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was a pattern. I wanted to look at some of the other teams that had a quarterback on a good quarterback on a rookie contract and who their top two other highest paid players were on the team or just who their top two players were, who their top two highest paid players were on their team outside of that. So um, the Chicago Bears, Mitch Trubisky, Khalil Mack is their highest paid player. Allen Robinson, wide receiver, is their second highest paid player. The Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Justin Houston, defensive player, defensive end, very good, was their highest paid player. Sammy Watkins, was their wide receiver, was their second highest paid player. The Houston Texans with uh, Deshaun Watson at quarterback. J.J. Watt, highest paid player, defensive end. DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver, second highest paid player. The Los Angeles Rams with Jared Goff, on, still on his rookie contract. Aaron Donald, highest paid player, highest paid player in the NFL. Brandon Cooks was the third highest paid player on that roster. So if you're looking for a pattern here, teams are giving out a lot of money to their best defensive player, guys that are disrupting the quarterback on almost every play, Khalil Mack, Justin Houston, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, and they're giving it out to a really good receiver. Aside from Sammy Watkins, who is fine at this point in his career, he was injured for a while for the Chiefs this season, but um, he has a big contract that the Chiefs obviously acquired. So... um, but Allen Robinson, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So I thought that was really interesting. And if you're looking at sort of where the Browns are going to sort of end up going and end up spending a lot of their money, obviously Miles Garrett will be that person who, when it is time for a new contract, is going to get a lot of money. Um, but they don't, you know, Jarvis Landry is making, um, he has a $14 million cap hit coming up. And, um, you know, he's not quite the number he's not the number one wide receiver that the Browns um, covet and need. Now you so you can either trade for Odell Beckham Jr. if that's something that could happen, or you're going to try and reach into the draft and um, select a guy that you think can be your number one wide receiver. But um, you know, obviously Antonio Brown is out of out of the question. I don't think the Steelers are going to trade him in the division. But there is room, and there is sort of a blueprint for 
where your money is going to go outside of the quarterback that you have on a rookie contract. And the Bears, Chiefs, Texans, Rams all are good examples of where that money is going. It's going to their best defensive player, a guy that's making an impact every play, and it's going to their best wide receiver outside of the Chiefs, who that's probably Tyreek Hill. But um, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting, and I think it shows a little bit of where the Browns might be going as they move forward. All right, we can quickly move through a couple more questions. Uh, Richard Karzewski uh, wants to know if John Dorsey would move up in the first round to try and grab a linebacker, an impact linebacker like a Devin White. Devin White is a linebacker out of LSU. Um, he had, if I can uh, bring this up, it disappeared on me. Here we go. Uh, he had 123 tackles uh, last season for LSU. He had 12 tackles for loss, and he had three sacks. Um, the Ringer just put out a mock draft uh, where they compare him to guys like Danny Trevathan and Gerard Davis. Um, the Ringer has him being taken at number 11 by the Cincinnati Bengals in their first mock draft. And the Cincinnati Bengals have been tied to linebackers throughout this draft process. So I don't know if Devin White is going to... How high you would have to go, how high you would have to move up uh, to select somebody like Devin White and whether that's something that's worth it, especially when the Browns have been connected to a lot of defensive tackles and some interior defensive linemen. And I think that they're, that might be where they're going to go at number 17. Um, depending on where Ed Oliver goes, depending on where a guy like Christian Wilkin goes uh, from Clemson, that's a guy that's been tied to the Browns uh, pretty heavily as we've gone throughout this process. So I don't know if as good as Devin White is, to make the leap from 17 to in front of the Bengals at 11 or higher, you're going to have to give up a good amount, and I don't know if the value there is worth it. Um, you know, Devin Bush is the other guy that's probably going to be taking top 20, top 25 uh, linebacker from Michigan, but his sort of skill set and ability, really good tackler, good hard hitter, but um, he's good in coverage, and I, you know, Joe Schobert's just coming off his best year in coverage. Joe Schobert was really, really good in coverage. So I don't know if there's some redundancy there or if, or if that's somebody you're going to look at. But I'm not sure if the Browns are going to go linebacker in that first round when you can have a disruptive interior defensive lineman sitting there at 17 and somebody like a Christian Wilkins. So uh, we, will, we will see what happens there. But I feel like the need for um, the defensive tackle, maybe another cornerback that high in the draft is – is that would be more of a priority than trying to move up to get somebody like a Devin White for as talented um, as he is. Next question, moving on. Terry from Medway. Will the Browns' defense be more aggressive under Steve Wilkes, that the new defensive coordinator, than it was under Greg Williams? Now, when I first read this question, I was like, no way, because Greg Williams is the most aggressive uh, defensive coordinator in the NFL. Greg Williams would blitz you while you were having Thanksgiving dinner. Greg Williams would blitz you when you were... Uh, sitting, reading a book on the beach, trying to relax on a two-week vacation from work. He's blitzing you. He doesn't care. He'll blitz whenever. In the most inappropriate situations, he will blitz you. But then I was like, well, I should double-check. And uh, by the end of the 2018 season, the Browns were blitzing on 31.5% of snaps. This is per um, NFL Matchups on Twitter, which is a wonderful, wonderful resource uh, for statistics. The Cardinals, who Steve Wilkes was the head coach of now, so Steve Wilkes was not the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals, but obviously being a defensive guy coming from Carolina where he was the defensive coordinator, the defense sort of fell under his purview. The Cardinals actually blitzed 35.7% of the time 
uh, last season, and that was fourth in the NFL. So somehow, Steve Wilkes might actually be more aggressive uh, than Greg Williams was. Steve Wilkes was also aggressive in Carolina in 2017. They were one of the heaviest blitzing teams in the league. I believe they were up in like the four, like in the 40s. So um, Steve Wilkes is aggressive. Steve Wilkes might be more aggressive than Greg Williams, which is okay as long as you're doing it smartly and you're doing it in the right situations and you're disguising it well. And I think that is sometimes, a lot of the time, what Greg Williams was not good at was disguising disguising his blitzes or sending them at the right times um that will forever be one of my biggest criticisms of Greg Williams is just blitzing the blitz and then getting beat so um yeah I think we are going to see some more blitzing and some more aggressiveness from Steve Wilkes so if there is going to be one thing that's going to remain the same on that Browns defense I think it is going to be the aggressiveness um that you saw last year is going to carry over this question I thought was really really great uh, the la- this is my last one of this this Browns batch. If I didn't get to you, uh, your question, I am sorry. I had so many. I had to pick some of the best ones, and we will have many more mailbags uh, to come. All right, this one was from Justin in Columbus. And he wanted to know, in the previous 10 draft classes of the Cleveland Browns, who is one player from each Browns draft class that you would want on the Browns roster today and why? Uh, so I'm not going to go through uh, the entire decade, but I wanted to choose three players that the Browns drafted um, that are no longer on the team that I that I wish were. That would be great if they were. Now, there weren't a ton of options because the Browns have had some absolutely horrid drafts. Every time I go back and relook at old drafts, I forget how bad they were, even though I lived through each one. But we will start in 2009. That is when the Browns took Alex Mack. Obviously, Alex Mack developed into one of the best centers in the game, and then he left in free agency, and he went to the Atlanta Falcons, and that was a bummer. So I'd love to have Alex Mack at center because he's maybe one of the best centers still in the NFL. 2011, I would love if Jabal Sheard were still on the Browns, because the Browns never figured out how to use him. And then he went to New England, and then now he's with the Indianapolis Colts, and he's had a very productive career. So the Browns never figured out how to use Jabal Sheard. He's really talented, and I wish the Browns had kept Jabal Sheard from 2011. And 2012, it was a supplemental draft. Talk about it all the time. We're trying to forget. I know, but man, if Josh Gordon could have been just didn't have the other stuff going on that I hope he's figuring out. Um, I mean, what else is there to say? Josh Gordon could be the number one wide receiver on this Browns team, and if if you were just looking at talent alone and not all the other other stuff, that Josh Gordon would make this offense one of the most potent offenses in the NFL. He is a generational talent that I have no idea if he'll ever get it together or have the desire uh, enough to to make an impact uh, in this league. But, man, 2012 supplemental draft, Browns got a guy that looked like he was going to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and it did not work out that way. So, uh, But I thought that was a really great question from Justin, so thank you for that. But now let's get to the most important part of the podcast, the sandwich questions. Got some great sandwich questions, so let's just get right into it. First question, I had multiple people want to know this, so let's just, I'll just give my take, my stance on this right now. The the question that has boggled the minds of people for decades, for centuries, is a hot dog a sandwich? Here is what I, I have to say to this question, and this is, I don't have a hundred different points of why this is my opinion. I, I'm not breaking down film. I am not doing a ton of research. My answer to this is no. And it is because if somebody asked me, 
hey, can I get you a sandwich? And they came back with a hot dog. I would say, hey, man, um, I asked for a sandwich. Like if I close my eyes and you tell me to picture a sandwich, I'm not picturing a hot dog. That's just a different category. That's like a that's like barbecue food, you know? That's like what you're having at your friend's dad's cookout for his graduation party. So, again, I would be very I I would have to take a moment if I if you asked me, "Hey, can I get you a sandwich? We've got a bunch." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, whatever's on the table, you know, ham and cheese, whatever it is that you guys have going on, um I would like." And he came back with a with a goddamn hot dog. I'd be appalled. And I love hot dogs, but I would say, "Hey, man, you said you were getting me a sandwich." And you came back with a hot dog, and I'm leaving this party. So that is why I say a hot dog is not a sandwich, because um, I've played that scenario out over in my head, and I that is what I the conclusion I've come to. So please don't at me. Um, please don't call me and to argue with me about why a hot dog is a sandwich. It's not. For me, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Hot dogs are great, though. And if anything... This Indian season might end up being a disaster, but you can go to Progressive Field and get delicious hot dogs, and that is all that matters, and they are not a sandwich. Okay, uh, next. This one is from my good friend Gordy Jones, also a sandwich connoisseur. We may do a joint podcast all just strictly about sandwiches, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Gordy writes in, If I could marry one sandwich, which would it be? That's a great question. I... If it was illegal to marry a sandwich, I'd probably do it. So let's just get that out of the way. I would marry a sandwich for real. Um, But if I could marry one sandwich, I've talked about this on the Tomahawk Pod. Um, The one sandwich I would marry is the Hot Grumster from Grums. Grums sits on the corner of Coventry and Mayfield Road in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. My hometown. And the Hot Grumster is... The delicious sandwich that comes out of uh, that comes out of that place, the hot grumster. For those who are not aware of what this is, it is roast beef, it is fresh mushrooms, it's lettuce, it's tomato, it's onion, it's provolone cheese, and then it's horseradish sauce and some Grum's secret sauce and spices. It is amazing. It is piping hot. It is delicious. I've been eating it for most of my life and talking about it now. I don't know if you can hear it over the microphone, but my stomach just growled because I literally just only have to think about it once, and that's how excited I get about it. Um, I would marry it because it's the Old Faithful. It is the sandwich I would bring home to my mother. It is the sandwich I would say if somebody was like, what is, man, what are you looking for in a sandwich wife? I would say, here it is. You know what you're going to get every single time. It's always going to be good. You can grow old together and never get tired of it. I would marry the Hot Grumster. Um, thank you, Gordy, for that excellent question. Um, next, this is a sort of a joint question from Anthony and from Mitch, who want to know the best um, sandwich shop, both in Cleveland and then in Columbia, Missouri, which is uh, which houses the campus of the University of Missouri, uh, where I went to college. Um, so shout out to Mitch. I don't know if you went there or uh, you must have. Uh, so shout out to my fellow Tiger alum. Um, in Cleveland, it's too hard for me to pick just one. So I, here's a couple. Obviously, I mentioned Grums. Um, Cleveland Pickle, RIP, gone too soon. So you can't even go buy um, sandwiches from there anymore. But Cleveland Pickle was amazing. They had a sandwich called the West Sider that was one of my favorites. So RIP to Cleveland Pickle. Um, Very underrated spot that I don't know if it's still open or there or not because I haven't worked in this area in downtown Cleveland in a little while. But it was a place called Presto's Sandwiches. It was on Euclid. Um, It was part of the arcade. 
like you entered into the arcade and then turned right and it was right there, but its window was right on Euclid Ave. They had a turkey avocado sandwich that was amazing. They also had a sandwich that was called Yo Adrian that had a thousand meats on it. It was also delicious. Um, so that's a favorite of mine in Cleveland. I just recently had um, the Mr. Beef sandwich from Mabel's, which is Michael Simon's barbecue restaurant that is on East 4th. Uh, I discovered that you could order um, Mabel's from the Postmates app, and I ordered Mr. Beef, and that sandwich was a life that was life changing. Had that on Friday night, changed my whole life. Um, so that is great. La Bodega in Tremont, and this answers another question I was asked by uh, Pat Hooley, who asked if I had ever been to La Bodega in Tremont, and yes, I have. I used to live in Tremont, and I would go there far too often and spend far too much money there, but if you have not been to La Bodega, that is one of the best sandwich shops in all of Cleveland. They have a ton of options. Um, They have a ton of roast beef sandwiches that are amazing. Um, They also have a really great sort of breakfast sandwich with salmon and avocado and all this other great stuff um so la bodega is a wonderful place as well um in columbia missouri i don't know if i went to like a local sandwich shop because i was young and knew nothing um but they did have a place and this is a chain and it's in other places but i at the time i did not know this uh, it's called Witch Witch, and I'm sure other people have been there, but it was right in like one of the main parts uh, by the journalism school, and I would go there all the time, and Witch Witch was delicious. I used to work, I had, used to have to work on Thursday and Friday nights helping to design the sports page of the um, city's newspaper that was there, and so um, I would have to work from like six until midnight, and so I would always get dinner uh, those nights at Witch Witch, and it was delicious. And I probably spent money that I didn't have, uh, but I was it was college, and it was uh, the sandwiches were great. So I used to go to Witch Witch all the time in Columbia. I'm trying to think if I went if there's anywhere else I went that had um, good sandwiches. Oh, Pickleman's, yeah, Pickleman's was really good too. That was a, I think that was more of a Missouri thing, um, or at least that area of the country, but uh, I used to go to Pickleman's a bunch, so that was a really good spot too. Those are the two sandwich places that um, I probably went to the most in Columbia. Both, I think, changed in one chains in one way or the other, but those are my picks. Anthony had a great question. If I could create a sandwich that was named after a Browns player, what would it be called and what would be in it? Anthony, I spent a lot of time trying to find a pun uh, with a Browns last name and... Uh, a sandwich, and I came to uh, Peanut Butter and Jarvis Landry. That is the sandwich that I would name after a Browns player. It would just be peanut butter and jelly, but it would have some sort of like swag on it. Something weird would come with it, you know? Um, like, I, And I don't know what that is. I don't know what the weirdness would be. Maybe it would be like a choose-your-own thing. Like It would be peanut butter and jelly, and then there was a list of one other thing that you could add to it and they could be wild it would be like obviously honey is something that you could add to it that's not that crazy but what if you wanted to get weird and you wanted to add um a hershey's chocolate bar into it you could do that what if you wanted to obviously you could add um, a banana to it if you wanted so maybe it would be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich where you could add something crazy something somewhat traditional but just you add one thing in there and you get to pick from a list that's the peanut butter and jarvis landry uh, I would like royalties for any restaurant that steals that from me. Thank you. Moving on. Uh, the final question from this wonderful, wonderful mailbag episode. Again, thank you to everybody that wrote in. I will definitely do this again. Uh, this one comes from my guy, Corey Scott, uh, former colleague of mine at ESPN Cleveland. He's still there. I'm not. 
Um, Corey, with a really good question, uh, under what circumstances should a sandwich be cut diagonally? Corey, this is a great question. This is another important thing to touch on. Um, in my mind, as I thought through this, there are only two sandwiches that should be legally cut diagonally instead of vertically or horizontally down the middle, whatever you want to call it. One of those is obviously the grilled cheese. The grilled cheese is like the wild, wild west of sandwiches. You can put a ton of different things on it. Uh, people make it a bunch of different ways depending on how they grew up or how their mom made it or how their dad made it. We're not being sexist here. Everybody, anybody can make uh, grilled cheese. So grilled cheese can be cut diagonally because there's no rules. And also it just, I think it makes it taste better. So you can cut grilled cheese diagonally. Also, you can cut uh, peanut butter and jelly diagonally. So you could cut the peanut butter and Jarvis Landry diagonally if you wanted to as well. Those, to me, are the only two instances where it is it should be legal to cut a sandwich diagonally. Now, I think I've had a BLT before that was cut diagonally, and I would like to state that for the record that it was uh, disgusting. And I won't. I will not stand for cutting BLTs diagonally. That is a sandwich that should be eaten in the way that God intended it, just right down the middle. So I am saying that the only two sandwiches that can be cut diagonally, grilled cheese, peanut butter, and jelly, if you cut a different type of sandwich diagonally and would like to yell at me, you can at me on this one, at Cleveserm. That's fine. We can have a discussion about all these sandwich things um, because it's important. Again, as I said, and also uh, mayonnaise is good. So I don't want to hear any other opinions to the contrary. All right. This is really, honestly, the most fun I think I've had. That 36 minutes zoomed by because uh, this was a blast. So thank you, everybody that emailed in for this, the first edition of the uh, mailbag episode of the Rebuild Podcast. We will be doing this more in the future. So uh, if you have questions that I was unable to get to or you didn't email in because you couldn't think of one, I will do it again, and we will have a lot of fun with this. So thank you guys for listening. I am off to Breckenridge, Colorado to do some shredding of shredding the gnar. I'm going to shred the, the fresh powder uh, with my skis and my hat and safety first pizza stops all day. So I will be back next week. Hopefully have uh, hopefully have a guest. We'll see what happens. We'll see what we'll see what's going on. Got some stuff in the works. So we'll see who we can bring on. Uh, but for now, thank you as always for listening again. Please uh, subscribe and rate The Rebuild on iTunes. Uh, Listen to it. Subscribe to it wherever else you get your podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend as we move forward into the offseason. The NFL Draft will be here before we know it, um, and that's uh, always an exciting time, even though the Browns are not picking number one. They're picking 17th, but should be fun. Still need to add a lot of pieces, so that will sort of be where we will shift our focus in the coming weeks. Once again, I'm Jordan Zerm. Thank uh, Thank you for listening to The Rebuild, and I will talk to you guys next week.